The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, really? We've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Paul. I am the senior pastor here. And I just love the characters in this church. That was Jonathan Dixon, everyone. Can we give him a round of applause? In the first service, uh, Cody was sharing about the swag. That's what the young people call this, the swag that uh, you can pick up in the lobby. And he said, get you some. You know, that's what they say in Beulahville, where he's from, get you some. So we have quite the mix of characters here in our church. Look, I am so excited to launch into a new series today called A Gospel Movement. And over the next five weeks, we're going to explore five different characteristics that we see in gospel movements. And uh, let me just share, this is not meant to be a comprehensive list, Jonathan, okay? But it's meant to be a good list, a starting point for all of us. And our goal is for you to be informed and inspired. Individually, wherever you are in your faith journey, but corporately, where we are in our faith journey. So with that... Let me invite you to share another brief word of prayer. So please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever been invited into a life-changing relationship. In an article titled, This Former History Teacher is Helping Hundreds of Kids Turn Bikes into Vehicles of Opportunity, journalist Ali Torgan writes, despite overwhelming diversity, excuse me, overwhelming adversity, 
There's a resounding spirit of survival and hope for people living in the Bayou State. We choose to live by joy and community more than look at horrible issues and challenges that sometimes feel too big for us to take on, said Dustin LaFont, pictured here, whose nonprofit Front Yard Bikes supports hundreds of students in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, every year as they pedal towards a brighter future. It's very important in Cajun culture to take care of your neighbor, LaFont continues. Ranked as one of the poorest states in America, Torgan goes on, Louisiana often bears the brunt of coastal storms and hurricanes. And on top of sky-high poverty and crime rates, the compounding effect has been devastating for residents. In Baton Rouge, for instance, roughly one in four residents lives in poverty. Quote, our kids in South Louisiana grew up knowing they have to be resilient from day one, LaFont said. You can go from having a house, having a family, and then all of a sudden, it's gone in a blink of an eye. Our mission is to create safe spaces that empower our kids to learn about their intrinsic worth as they learn, grow, and build. And such is what LaFont has done. At Front Yard Bikes, LaFont and friends have built a safe space where students work to build their own bicycle, learning skills like mechanics, welding, and cycle safety, while receiving mentoring, academic support, and job training opportunities. And as a Louisiana native, and as the title shares with us, as a former middle school history teacher, LaFont did all this because, quote, nothing was more infuriating than seeing a kid in my class, and then one day, one day, that desk is empty because they've been expelled. I wanted to really teach that kid. I wanted uh, to see them get that accomplishment. And so Front Yard Bikes was birthed to serve the greater good, inviting kids and students across across Baton Rouge, listen, into a life-changing relationship where they could discover their God-given dignity and potential. And here's what I love. Just listen to this. To date, Front Yard Bikes has served over 2,000 kids, and over 50 of them are now certified as mechanics. How cool is that? Here's another picture of LaFont with some of his students at Front Yard Bikes. Just look at the joy and holy pride in their faces. Again, one fellowship, let me ask you, have you ever been invited into a life-changing relationship? As we dive into today's passage, we will see that this question strikes at the heart, the very heart of why Jesus came. Listen, Jesus came to offer you and me a life-changing relationship. And more than that, Jesus came so that his impact on you and me could then impact the whole world, our whole world, or worlds, so to speak. Think of your families. Think of your friends. Think of your neighborhoods. Think of your workplaces, think of your schools, and etc. Life change, that's what the Christian faith at the foundational level is all about. So this leads us to our big idea from Luke chapter 5 today. A life changed by Jesus leads to lives changed by Jesus, thus igniting a gospel movement through you and me. A life changed by Jesus leads to lives changed by Jesus, 
thus igniting a gospel movement through you and me. And in light of the context of our text, we'll unpack this big idea through two points. Point one, Jesus wants to get in your boat. And point two, Jesus wants to expand what you believe is possible. So let's dive into God's word together. Point one, Jesus wants to get in your boat. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, if you're curious, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Friends, here it is. Even if you do not care or do not qualify, Jesus wants to get in your boat. Even if you don't care or don't qualify, Jesus wants to get in your boat. Let's parse this together. First, even if you don't care, Jesus wants to get in your boat. Here's the context of our text this morning. In Luke chapter five, it's early in the public ministry life of Jesus. And yet he's already taught in various synagogues around Israel and healed many lives. You can read that in Luke chapter four. People don't know what to make of him, but nonetheless, they begin following him. Who is this Jesus, they ask. All the crowds know at that point is he's a really good teacher and perhaps anointed by God. This brings us to their fishermen. They don't care. Meaning they don't care about Jesus. They don't. Have you ever been tired to the bone? According to our text, these dudes had just worked all night as commercial fishermen, catching nothing, by the way. Good job, Jonathan. And up walks a young rabbi named Jesus who asked to use a boat as a floating pulpit. In full washdown mode, this ask or request did not bless them. I can assure you of that. And yet, what do we see? Even though they didn't care, Maggie, Jesus wanted to get in their boat. The same is true with you and me today. Metaphorically speaking, even if you don't care at all, you don't even know why you're here, Jesus wants to get in your boat. Now, this passage reminds me of when my mom met my dad. Some of you have heard this story before, but when my parents were freshmen at Northern Illinois University, anyone here from the Midwest today? Yeah, 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 85% of the room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> when my parents were freshmen at Northern, they met at a bus stop. My mom was heading back home to Lake Forest, Illinois, when accidentally or strategically, she dropped the book she was holding. Like the gentleman that my dad was and is, my dad bent down, picked up my mom's books and introduced himself. Turns out he was heading home to Waukegan, Illinois, close to Lake Forest. So they sat together on the bus all the way home. And according to my father, my mom talked and she talked and she talked some more. One of her friends is here today. She talked the whole ride home. At dinner that night, when my grandparents asked my father about school and the ride home, he shared he'd met a beautiful young lady, but she never stopped talking. <laughs> Meanwhile, that same evening, when 
My grandmother asked my mom for an update on her day. My mom shared that she just met the man she was going to marry. You see, my mom was determined to enter into a life-changing relationship with my dad. And guess what? Here I am. (laughs) And to this day, my dad would tell you, apart from meeting Jesus, my mom's the best thing that's ever happened to him. Turning back to our passage, we see that even if you don't care, Rowan, Jesus wants to get in your boat. Next, we're meant to see that even if you don't qualify, Jesus wants to get in your boat. What do I mean? Well, looking at our passage, who does Jesus call as his earliest disciples? Were they elite soldiers? Were they elite politicians? Were they elite marketplace leaders? Were they elite lawmakers? Were they elite athletes? Jonathan Wong, were they elite theologians? No, they weren't. Jesus called fishermen, fishermen. And friends, this would have been scandalous. Like many of us, or so we think, these men did not qualify to be Jesus' followers. Listen to this quote from theologian Daryl Bach. Jesus' gathering of disciples was not unusual in his time in Jewish setting. Many rabbis would gather students around them to teach Torah. But the kind of disciples Jesus gathers is unusual. They're not theological professionals. Fishermen tax collectors, former revolutionaries, and just plain old sinners make up this new community. Jesus launches them on a journey with God, a walk in which God begins to work in their lives. You see, no matter if you are a man or a woman, rich or poor, black or white, young or old, single or married, native born or foreign born, a good girl or a bad boy, Jesus wants to get in your boat today. We read near the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, these words, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The bottom line is Jesus wants to forge a life-changing relationship with you. Yes, you, whoever you are. Even if you don't care or qualify, Kathy, Jesus wants to get in your boat. This leads us to point two. Jesus wants to expand what we or you believe is possible. Our passage continues. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. Should I call Jonathan back up here again? That was really good. Put out into deep water, he says. Let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Just imagine the scene with me. Again, these were professional fishermen who had just been skunked fishing the entire night before. As pros pros, it's likely that Simon and these other guys shared a fishing co-op or partnership, which would have been normal back in that time and place. And they would have used dragnets between their boats to increase the likelihood of a catch. And yet, as we've read, they'd caught nothing on this particular day or outing. Exhausted and frustrated, just imagine this with me, these hardworking guys are then cleaning their nets after a tough night at work when up walks this young guy, Jesus, who preaches a sermon using one of their boats and immediately has the nerve to tell them to get back in their boats and fish once again. Is he crazy? Who does this guy think he is? Friends, do you remember what Jesus was before he became a rabbi? He was a carpenter. So a carpenter turned rabbi instructs these pros pros what what they're to do and how they're to do it when they themselves are the experts and he is not. Okay, Jesus, whatever you say, Simon basically responds and submits to the ridiculous request. Let me pause here and just admit something. I'm not sure I would have submitted to this request. Mike, would you have submitted to this request? Dwayne, you? Others, you? Let's keep it real here. And yet, friends, what do we see happen next in the passage? The ridiculous request produces ridiculous results for all who say yes to Jesus. Quote, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. This has never been a problem I've had to solve. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Oh, how blessed is the man and woman in community who dares to trust in Jesus no matter the request. Jesus wants to expand what you believe is possible, even in those places where we've tried and failed. Guess what? Jesus wants you to trust him and flourish. Jesus wants to expand what you and I believe is possible. Returning again to our passage, what do we read next? Well, Simon and the others are, quote, astonished. They're astonished. Another translation uses the word awestruck. They're so awestruck by the catch. Is it time, Jesus? (laughs) It's all good. Oh, no, it's like a, a true alarm. One time, a professor of mine, uh, a car alarm started going off in the, uh, in the middle of a sermon out in the parking lot, and he was getting so frustrated. And he's like, why won't they shut that off? Only to realize that it was his keys in his pocket. <laughs> it happens to us all. So they were awestruck by the catch. They were so awestruck that Simon did what? He fell to his knees before Jesus. In one fellowship, we call these awestruck times or encounters Defining moments. 
defining moments. Allow me to share another story with you. Last weekend, I had the pleasure of joining in the one men's retreat up at Santee State Park with about 40 other men who call our church home. Beyond the great speaker and great food, one moment sticks out to me today. It was Saturday afternoon, and we had created some significant margin in our schedule to foster friendships and get some downtime, to regroup, to rest. At first, that was my very plan, to rest. But then I discovered that a group was going hiking in the woods, many of whom I didn't know. So I made the decision to join this group, and off, off we went. Now, what I didn't know as we began our hike or wasn't informed of by the devious leaders of this group, John Lemke and Jonathan Wong. Don't trust any Johns in this church, y'all. What I didn't know is that we'd be hiking for miles and miles and miles. So after three hours of hiking through thick forest and hearing Ashley Ballinger, the big guy that's on the connection team at the 9 a.m., after hearing him say, quote, I hate you guys. <laughs> and I will be looking for a new church family. <laughs> True. After hearing, so here's the deal. So we all split up. I crawled back to my cabin and we saw Ashley later. I, saw, I said, I thought you hated us and you were going to leave the church. He, he said, well, I was, but I don't have a ride home. <laughs> However, listen, the hike was worth it. The time with these guys, it was worth it. Beyond connecting with multiple guys on the hike, I connected with a newer guy in our church named Frank. Frank was here at the nine. And without going into detail, Frank entrusted me with his story, his faith story, his ups and downs in life. And we shared in a powerful some might even say a divinely appointed conversation. It was so powerful that on Sunday morning when I invited the guys to share one thing they'd like to leave behind and one thing they'd like to take away, spiritually speaking, from the weekend, I was able to embrace Frank with a huge one fellowship hug and literally lift him off the floor. For me and the other men in attendance, it was as if we were welcoming home a long lost Brother, guys were literally screaming and clapping for Frank. Here's a picture of that moment. Returning one last time to our passage, as if the moment couldn't get any larger, Jesus turns to a kneeling Simon and says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And guys, these words of Jesus would eventually prove true, right? In the life of Simon, who eventually would be called Peter. For in Acts chapter 2, following lots of growing pains as a leader, Peter would stand up at Pentecost and preach his first sermon. And quote, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
one fellowship. Jesus wants to expand what you and I believe is possible. He wants to launch a gospel movement through you and through me. Whether you care or qualify, whether you believe it or not, Jesus wants to change your life in order to change the lives of others. This is what we see. He says to each one of us, Stone, follow me. Anna, follow me. Butch, follow me. Carly, follow me. Kevin, follow me. Paul, follow me. Let down your nets. Follow me. Now for the big news, the big announcement that we indicated we share with our church family today. Are you ready for it? Here it is. As a church family, we are being called into a life-changing, life-defining moment with Jesus. For years, we've prayed not only for astonishing, awestruck, defining moments in our community, but as a leadership team, we've prayed for the multiplication of these moments for generations to come. Specifically, in recent years, we've asked God to provide us with a permanent home in order to pursue our long-term vision of building a lasting community, a flourishing city, and a gospel movement for Charleston and beyond. And in 2020, we thought we had the answer, and we pursued building building on our land only to have COVID disrupt our plans. So we prayed and waited, prayed and trusted, and then over the last few months, a huge development came our way. And allow me to pause at this point and invite you to share in something special. This is a story about a community, a movement, and you. First, a community. The year was 2014, and a group of friends and families began asking the question, what would it look like to launch a new gospel community to serve and reach an ever-changing Charleston and world for generations to come? Motivated by scriptures such as Psalm 37, verse 3, which reads, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, which reads, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. We began walking the streets of our neighborhoods and praying for the different people groups and industries of our city. We prayed for a gospel community to rise up to not only receive the grace of God, but then live it out together. To be culture makers, using whatever influence we had, great or small, to shape and serve our city and world for decades to come. And this gave birth to what is now known as One Fellowship. Since our launch as a community that is gospel-centered, local and personal, and committed to standing on the faith that has been passed down to us, we have seen God do amazing things in our midst. We have witnessed Him restore broken hearts and homes, grant forgiveness and freedom to wayward souls, and pour out His grace in ways no one believed was possible. I really love that the spirit here is just open to anyone and everyone. There's a real receiving spirit here. It's an okay place to be you that you can be really real and really honest. I think people are um, hungry and desperate for a real relationship where they don't have to put up a front, but they can just be who they really are and have people come 
alongside me and love me and pray for me and check on me. It's just been, it's been huge. Specifically as the pastor of students, I see how our families are being shaped and how the word that is being preached, the, the difference that's being made is not just impacting uh, one person here, one person there, but it's impacting family units. And so we see that the students are living better lives because their parents are living better lives. And uh, so I see uh, the difference being made in our families. There's a commitment to the Word of God. There's a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and as King. There's a, a way in which people want to continue meeting together to continue seeking the glory of God and the glory of His kingdom. Seeing the many stories of life change in one fellowship has made us realize that what we started in 2014 isn't meant to be limited to Charleston, and it isn't meant to be limited to the here and now. No, it is more than that. It's meant to press out, and it's meant to press on. Jesus said to his followers in Acts chapter one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, we are called to mission. We're called to play a part in a lasting, dynamic movement of God. And this all flows from God's ultimate plan, an unwavering heartbeat to draw together a new community from every nation, tribe, people, and language. We have always been believers. We have always prayed and worshiped, but we never were really a part of a community. And being at One Fellowship has brought us into a community that we love and we know loves us. So it's brought us all together daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, and not just on Sunday mornings. The one spiritually defining moment that I have had while I've been at One Fellowship was seeing my daughter, Jelena, be baptized. That means so much, and that, um, that's a great part of the church, to have that family. I'm excited because I know that down the road, a few generations, this church will still be here. And we won't, but we feel as though we can be part of the legacy of what will transpire in the future, and that's exciting for us. Space is really important to us. We are embodied creatures. We meet in physical spaces. To have a space that is dedicated to One Fellowship and, and for One Fellowship to be able to use to gather together, to form community, to build relationships, to equip others, to have a space where we can meet and, and study together and to learn together and to think together and to discuss together would be hugely beneficial to our ability to reach Charleston. Quite frankly, it's a wise decision to buy and to build, especially in this area. Over time, One Fellowship's building could outlast and outlive all of us. And God calls us to be excellent and to create something of beauty and excellence honors Him. And it's super exciting to think about all the people who could experience that at One Fellowship or visitors. And practically speaking, our space, fits us, but we are quickly outgrowing it. To have 
the opportunity to purchase this. And if we do that, then we all of a sudden have this space where we can host all kinds of things. We can host small groups all the way up to large conferences. We can do a lot of different things with kids camp and kids ministries and student ministries. And I think that's the biggest thing is that when we're given an opportunity from the Lord that we can steward it well and use it and he can work through it when he gives us the space that we allow him to work in. For me, the one campaign is more than a building. It goes to a personal level. I really want One Fellowship to be a safe haven for people that are hurting, for the vulnerable in our community, for the lonely in our community. I want this to be a permanent home where people can come and find hope and healing. And I also just have a vision of all the families in this community being able to come to a place where they can learn and grow and serve together. And I want One Fellowship to be that place. I think what excites me about the One Campaign is that what we see through the Bible is that God places people in permanent places uh, for a greater purpose. And so while One Fellowship has existed for over seven years, this is an opportunity for the church to have a permanent residence and really a stakeholder position here in the city. And I think that gives so much opportunity for the gospel to flourish. Uh, this idea of this lasting community that's here, that's not just for us, but it's for my three and a half year old son. It's for the generations that come. It's for the kids that have gone off to college to even come back to. I think what I get excited about when I think about the One Campaign is the idea that this church can have roots here for a long, long time. And when I think about roots, I think about my own child, I think about our family, and I think about what, that's just the magic that happens in kids' ministry and the deep, deep roots that are planted when kids know and see and hear the gospel week in and week out. And so the idea that we could have a place and a space, a permanent home to allow our kids to grow and to grow and to grow. I've always wanted to be generous, but truthfully at the heart of the matter for me has been fear. I've been afraid that if I'm generous that I'm going to lack in some way, and I think that's where God's really working in my life. I choose to give to One Fellowship because God's given so much to me. I give my time, I give my talent, and I give my treasure. At the end of the day, it's all God's anyway. It's just a small portion of what I can do is to give to One Fellowship, but I think if we all have that same mentality and we all look towards God and do the things that He wants us to, the things that we can accomplish are going to be amazing. It's going to be miraculous, and I'm just excited to be here for it. If you're someone who is searching for a love that stands the test of time, if you're a family looking for a community rooted in the gospel, or if you're a person longing to play a role in a story much bigger than your own, join us. We are a community of friends and families from different backgrounds being built up as one fellowship in one love for one mission. To know Christ and to make Him known, the one and the many in Charleston and beyond. Your life matters and this moment matters, for we believe the best is yet to come. Together, let's build and be one fellowship.
tell you what, watching your faces watch that video was really moving. Seeing kids grab their parents' arms and students smile in their parents' faces and friends look at one another. It captures the moment. Well, here we are. Here's the announcement. It's rather big. One Fellowship, it's my joy to share. We are officially relaunching the One Campaign churchwide today. And to what end, you ask? Well, the huge news is that we've been given the opportunity to purchase the entire facility in which you sit today. So what does this mean? What does it mean for you? It means we are calling all of you, all who call One Fellowship home, all who love One Fellowship, all who want to see One Fellowship flourish for years to come, for generations to come, to pray big prayers, dream big dreams, and rally with us through radical trust and generosity to make this vision, this opportunity, become a reality. Specifically, our aim is to raise... Here it is, $3.98 million above and beyond our current operating expenses over the next two years towards a total goal of $6.75 million, which will allow us to acquire the facility and complete phase one of a two-phase upfitting process. And our timeline, friends, is short. We only have until the end of this November to raise, secure, and get pledges for the money necessary to purchase this facility, which is why we are inviting all of you to pray about making a 24-month pledge or a pledge over three giving years or cycles, making a 24-month pledge with me, with my family, with our leaders above your current tithes and offerings. Listen, we're longing, we're aiming for 100% participation from our church family. It's not about the size of your checkbook. It's about the size of your heart. It's about your alignment, your call with us to move us forward with boldness together. To this end, on November 13th, we will be having a huge pledge Sunday. So we invite you to make a commitment to make a commitment today. Commit to make a commitment with us. Please Along with my family, pray big prayers, dream big dreams, and rally with us in this moment. I know you probably have questions. I know I would have questions if I were in your seat. So here's the deal. Following the service, there's a few opportunities to be further informed and inspired in this moment. First, we're going to be handing out uh, one campaign prospectuses to everyone here today. Grab one or two. And you can see and read our vision, our plans, um, and the need associated with this opportunity. We also invite you to grab one of these One Campaign pledge cards and pray over it daily with us over the next several weeks. Last but not least, I will be hosting a Q&A on the porch immediately after the service. So I've been asked frequently, asked questions, if you will, and I have some answers to those, and then we can do some personal Q&A. And as I shared earlier, we have some new One Fellowship vision swag for you. Here we go. I see some of you sport. Butch looks good in that shirt. Grab a shirt. They're free. Grab a hat. I can just see Gretchen running around with a One Fellowship trucker's hat. 
grab a magnet, pray over that magnet. Like, honestly, we have it on our fridge. Every time we pass the, the fridge, we're praying. My wife and I are talking. What would God have us do together in this moment as a family? So to wrap up this exciting time, one fellowship, listen, this is a watershed moment for us. And guests, welcome to our family. We just invite you to just watch what God does in our midst. If you want to pray with us, great. You can participate however you feel led. But one fellowship, this really is a watershed moment. We get to do what very few ever get to do. Listen, we get to engage in a major work of God at a foundational level. What we do will not only impact all of us, but it'll impact lives yet to experience this community. Prayerfully, it will impact generation upon generation, thousands of people. We get to engage in a major work of God. Beyond getting lost in the weeds, enjoy the moment. Get on your knees before God and say, God, what would you have us do? What would you have me do? Saturate me and us, our community, in prayer over the next few weeks and commit to make a commitment. Going back to our passage, listen. A life changed by Jesus leads to lives changed by Jesus thus igniting a gospel movement through you and me. And if you're someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, let's do that today. Honestly, meet me in the back. Meet one of our staff members in the back. Pastor Drew, wave at us. He's right there. He's right there. He gave me this sign. I don't, is that like a Star, a Star Trek thing? Or? He's always doing something mischievous in the back, I assure you. Hey, we'd like to have that conversation and lead you through some scriptures and prayer. Let's, let's do this in church. Let's enjoy this watershed moment together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that through your son, Jesus, we're not only called into a life-changing relationship, but a life-changing mission in community together. Expand the chambers of our hearts so that we would see what you see and we could capture in some way, shape or form through our imagination what you want to do here through each one of us. We pray this not only for our good, but the good of those who have yet to come and connect with one fellowship. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.